This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, I'm Katie Henriksen, and this is my podcast, Sound Off, featuring conversations with people making music challenging the status quo. Today, that means guest Doug Belliot. He's the viola da gamba and Baroque bass plus plugged-in bass and guitar member of genre-blurring five-piece oracle hysterical. Their tagline is part rock band, part book club. And they describe themselves as occupying the fluid space between classically inclined song cycle and art rock concept album. I love all of their collaborations. They take it to the next level when they work with chamber group A Far Cry in a song cycle, The Sea. I can't wait to share a conversation and some of their music with you, which we'll do right after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Funnables. Funnables aren't just fruit snacks. Every bite your child takes is fuel to spark their imagination, taking them from a wild unicorn space mission to a deep sea dive into a rainbow river. Funnables are made with 7.1% real fruit puree and are an excellent source of vitamins A, C, and E. So anytime, any place, make snack time playtime with Funnables fruit snacks. Have fun, eat it too. Visit FunnablesSnacks.com to shop now. Sergeant and Mr. Smith, you're gonna love this house. Bunk beds in a closet? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. This is this is a very interesting world to be in. I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you came upon that being your sound. I think all of us in Oracle Hysterical have deep connections to the pop world and, you know, really artistically done pop and rock music. I think, for example, we all agree that the Beatles are a huge influence, as they are on everybody. But, you know, something like Abbey Road had a huge impact on me, the idea that you could make a rock album that was a real work of art also, as so much of especially the late Beatles is. But then on top of that, all of us kind of came to music as trained classical musicians. And fortunately, we're living in a time where you can uh, combine those two worlds. And it's it's a lot of fun for, for us to, to write music um, with the kind of rigor and uh, attention to detail that you get from the classical world, but not to turn our backs on just the appeal of uh, the more pop and indie sides of music.
now I'll ask you specifically about your background and, and as someone who plays on viola da gamba, how, what was your path? I mean, how did you end up becoming a person who plays viola da gamba? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I was, I am a double bass player and I was playing in a symphony orchestra as a lot of young musicians, young classical musicians are kind of taught the orchestra is the the job you want. It's a, and it is a good job. Uh, I found it a little bit boring after a few years uh, to be sort of playing the same rep all the time, and I was looking for a bit more variety. So I w- went to Juilliard to study early music. They had this new historical performance program that was free, and it was a great chance to move to New York and um, study something that I was interested in for a long time. And that's where I really picked up the viola da gamba as a, a secondary instrument, and as soon as I had it, I knew that it w- had a lot of potential for the kind of music I like to create because it is, you know, it's got, the, it's in the range of a cello. It's tuned a little bit like a bass, but it's also a lot like a guitar that you can bow. So I thought, oh man, this has so many applications. So I really made it part of my musical life. And now I teach in that program, uh, Baroque Double Bass, um, the Juilliard Historical Performance Program. Viola da Gamba is not an instrument in our common vernacular, like the guitar or the double bass. What has it been like to expose this instrument to maybe a wider audience beyond early music? Uh, it's been cool, and it's really satisfying to play it in a concert and and hear from audience members. I've never seen an instrument like that before, or I really love the sound of it. And um, hopefully it's turning on some people to the instrument and the music that it normally plays, which is, of course, 17th and 18th century music. This instrument, the viola da gamba, has undergone something of a renaissance in the last few decades with Jordi Saval. But as you say, it's still not a household uh, instrument, uh, although it used to be. It used to be like the guitar. It was something every suburban kid wanted to play in the 17th century. And now it's it's become more obscure and, and less known. And I, I'm really happy to introduce it to to audience members. Yeah, that's uh, the, you make a, a point that I, I, I return to a lot when I'm talking to people about the fact that we, when we talk about the Baroque period or really any time period before now, uh, that stuff was new music. And these instruments were the the newest instruments around. Yeah, it's funny to think of a time when the violin was like the saxophone, like uh, we think of it as a fairly new instrument, something that only badasses play. And it's also funny to look at, say, for example, Renaissance dances and be like, yeah, this this was the Kanye of the time. You know, it was seen as uh, shocking by the older generation. Even the Sarabande, which we think of as so courtly. You know, it started life as a very promiscuous dance imported from lands unknown. And uh, yeah, I love thinking about that stuff. I think everybody in our group does the the different perspectives that shift over time with music. And, and now let's talk about your, your collaboration with A Far Cry and the Project The Sea, a song cycle, which the song cycle is important to you. I'd love to speak about why are you into song cycles and, and maybe what it was like to collaborate with A Far Cry in a very literary way. Yeah, there's a lot to say here, um, starting with song cycles. I mean, this goes back to 
the, our, our love of, let's say, album-length pieces to listen to and give us a, a satisfying narrative. Something about an actual LP, it, it's just such like a human amount of music. It's just the right amount to listen to and give us a, a satisfying narrative. And then you look at the best song cycles from music history. For me, Dichtelebe is sort of the pinnacle of the song cycle. And it's just that sort of semi-narrative journey that you go through. The simplicity of telling a story, in this case with just uh, voice and piano, I, I think that's been a love of all of us for a long time. Uh, Schumann, Schubert, the Beatles, all of these things. And then combine that with uh, Lapham's Quarterly, which is a kind of literary magazine that Elliot got us all into. And they'll publish four times a year a an issue on a theme, be it exploration or flesh or money or whatever it is, and excerpts from literature all the way from antiquity to essays written specifically for the magazine and everything in between. And we just love that and thought, is there a way to make a song cycle out of one of these magazines? So we took the C and we each took excerpts from it and in that way, combine the idea of a literary magazine on a theme with the idea of a song cycle. And a Far Cry, of course, we're all fans of them. Amazing string players, great people, good friends, a fun hang. So, uh, And they like our music too, which is awesome. So it was a natural choice for a collaboration, and, and strings make anything more epic and and what I especially like about this song cycle is when you look at an issue of Lapham's, first of all, it's beautiful. There's lots of illustrations, but there's also the short poems, there's long excerpts, and then there are these infographics. And we um, really tried to capture the experience of reading an issue of Lapham's in music. Like my piece, for example, Strait of Messina, is this Homer excerpt that's in there. And it's a, it's a longer excerpt of poetry. And so it's a longer piece. Brad did a um, excerpt of Shakespeare, which was quite a bit shorter, and it came out more like a three-minute song. And he, he did a few pieces like that. Elliot took on the task of making an infographic into a piece of music. And there's this infographic of the sea showing what happens at so many feet below the surface. And he mapped that onto the keys of the piano so that the top key is the surface of the water and the bottom key is the bottom of the Marianas Trench and have me and Brad narrating what's happening as we go down and a far cry orchestrating that out. So you see what I mean? Like we're trying to put the issue of Lapham's Quarterly into music, but at the same time it's a song cycle because it's all exploring the theme of the sea the way, uh, you know, Schumann's Dichterliebe explores the theme of the poet in love. (laughs) ¶¶ 
You mentioned uh, the song cycle and how it's basically it's basically a predecessor of the art rock concept album, <laughs> pretty much. I think I think Sgt. Pepper is a song cycle, you know, and I think the White Album is a huge song cycle. The way Vinterize is a huge song cycle. Maybe not every album has a really explicit narrative going through, but not every song cycle by the classical masters had one either. I think there's a big connection there. And then and then to add that layer, it's like, so it's a song cycle is like an art rock concept album is like a literary magazine. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's the, that's the extension that we're bringing to it. This like reading Lapham's, uh, it's a little bit like listening to a song cycle in a way. There's another blurb in descriptions of your band as part band, part book club. And obviously, this project speaks to that in that you're you're interpreting a literary journal into a song cycle. But maybe expand on that that thought and, and why literature is so integral to the music that you're making. It's it's hard to say exactly why, but um, it seems from the beginning, Oracle Hysterical has always been... Uh, really drawn to literature as inspiration, as a starting point, uh, as a hook to hang our music on, call it what you you will. But almost every time we get together to start a project, we say, okay, what are we doing? What are we we using as our map? And it's been Grimm's Fairy Tales, it's been Billy Budd by Melville, yeah, it's been the Bible, it's been uh, Euripides, it's been uh, Afghan folk legends, it was even a David Attenborough uh, um, nature special, which is stretching the definition of book, of course. But uh, the point is, we, we're always like, what are we reading? What are we obsessed with? And even every time I read something, it's hard for me to read it without thinking, if I was going to turn this into music, what would I do? And obviously, you can't do that for everything. So it's kind of whoever's most excited about something will really pitch it to the others, as it was with Lapham's, like, man, I think we could really do something with this. And the others read it and, uh, you know, agree or disagree. And we, but w- almost always, if one of us is, is on fire for something, it's easy for the others to get there. And yeah, that's in that way, we're a little like a book club because every project involves everybody doing a lot of reading and then a lot of writing. Speak to this importance of going deep with something, experiencing a full song cycle, experiencing a a whole entire concept album, sitting down with a book and just delving into it and spending a long time with with one work, maybe why that's important to you. Like I I listened to Sam Harris' podcast and... He recently posed a question to his listeners in relation to meditation. When's the last time you sat down and read a book for an hour without looking at your phone or anything? And I do think that was probably um, a wake-up call to a lot of people. My answer is, like this morning, I, I really put a lot of value on exactly that kind of, call it meditative or just call it absorption, flow state, whatever it is. But... um putting away the phone and and saying, all right, for the next hour or two hours or whatever, I'm going to be inside of this thing. It's like exercising or anything else or, or going to church. I don't know. You come out feeling clean and glad for having gone off the grid for a little bit, so to speak. I think that's something a lot of us uh, in the group put a high priority on. It's a natural place for us to start 
As for our uh, nebulous sound that that kind of falls into the cracks of normal genres, I am happy to be alive at a time when you can write music like that and it's not dismissed because it doesn't fit into a school. You know, the way in the 1950s so much music that was... uh, just beautiful or tonal was rejected by the classical world. Oh, it's it's uh, it's sentimental. But today there's an audience for for any kind of music, and so if we want to write the kind of music that a Far Cry is playing regularly, really classically influenced music, but with a strong streak of the indie rock that we love so much, uh, there's people that like it and are drawn to it, and that's great for us that we can share it with people who really enjoy it. That's Doug Balliot, the viola da gamba and baroque bass player for the group Oracle Hysterical. They seem to endlessly collaborate on new recordings. You should definitely check them out at their website, oraclehysterical.com. I'm Katie Henriksen. You've been listening to my podcast, Sound Off, which explores creativity at the intersection of art, music, and literature to dig into what that work and the people making it tell us about art and life in the 21st century. Sound Off is produced solely by me for the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. Now, if you'd like details as well as information about the music featured in this podcast, head on over to my Substack. That's soundoff.substack.com. Lots of details there, playlists, and extras. You can support Sound Off by smashing that subscribe button and leaving a rating at wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I hope you continue resonating with that great force of music. Music.